Well, good morning. Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. I am glad that you're here this morning. This is the week of Christmas. You picked a great day to be here today. Um, I'm excited about this day. I'm really excited about this series as we talk about some things that were written down before they ever happened. And it's as if God is saying, see, see, look, I I told you that was my plan. See, I wrote it here. I did it way, 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 way later just to prove it to you. See, I just, I I love that. And here, as we began this series, we talked about some of the predictions related to the arrival of Jesus as a baby, our Messiah. Um, So the birth of Jesus. Then we talked about uh, the next week, a very specific date related to Jesus and how it was talked about 500 years before it ever happened. And it was talked about clearly. And then it happened to the day. Wow, crazy. I I would encourage you, if you missed any of the first two weeks, to pick those up. You can listen to them on SoundCloud. I, I would encourage you to do that. And so this week, we're talking about something else, something that was not only written down, but something that has been done for 3,500 years, 3,500 years, and it's being done to this day. It was written down before it ever happened, and then some of it happened, and some more is going to happen. It's pretty cool. We're going to talk about this whole thing this morning. So I'm excited you're here. Hey, we got seats right down here in the very front for you guys. We're so glad you're here. That's my mom. (laughs) So (laughs) sorry to embarrass them. Um, So uh, anyway, so I'm just excited to share this with you. 3,500 years worth of history that we're going to be talking about today. And so what happened 3,500 years ago? Well, if you go back 3,500 years in our history, you're going to find some things happening in, in Egypt with Israel as a nation, and they were slaves in Egypt. What we're talking about today first began there. And if you're using the listening guide online, or if you're using the paper version, it's blank number one. And we're talking about the Passover and to what it points. That's what we're talking about today. The Passover and to what it points. So let's kind of begin. They were commanded to begin this 3,500 years ago, this whole thing that's called the Passover. Uh, And then soon after that very first Passover, some years later, that's the point at which God said, now do this every single year. And to this day, to this year, they still celebrate the Passover every single year. It happens in the spring around the time that we celebrate Easter or what we call Resurrection Sunday. That's around the time of the Passover. In fact, our date that we pick for uh, Resurrection Sunday for Easter has to do with uh, the Passover and all of that and, and the Jewish calendar. So that's what we're going to be talking about. What does it look like? What's it about? What did it mean? We're going to answer some of those questions today because it was written before it ever happened. And so they've been doing it now for thousands of years. And let's talk about this morning, this whole picture that God commanded the Israelites to do. So this was not just something that was written. This was something they were to do. So let's describe what it looked like. Here's kind of how the Passover would begin. The dad of the house would kind of go in and he would tell the kids, now, 
now we need to get rid of all the yeast. Any product, any, any food that has yeast in it, we need to get rid of it. So my favorite, the good old white bread. Oh, yeah. Got some white bread lovers? You bunch of wheat heads. <laughs> wheat and seed heads. That's what y'all are. I like me some white bread. But uh, anything with yeast, it had to go. And so dad would kind of even hide some crumbs of bread in some different places to make a game out of it. And the kids go around through the house finding all the yeast. So that's blank number two, out with the yeast. Now, now why would they want to get rid of the yeast? Now, here's a cool thing, because there's nothing really wrong with yeast. We eat a lot of it, don't we? some of us more than others, but we, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's a picture. And so this, for this season, yeast has to be out of the house. And when you look in the Bible, yeast is always referring, does anybody know to what? To sin. Yeast refers to sin. And so it's not really sin, nor is it sinful, but it represents sin. And so during this celebration, God said, get rid of all the yeast, no yeast in the house. And so that's what they do. They go out with the yeast. And then after that, as they're getting ready, there's lots of things that they're doing to prepare for the Passover. And then after they get rid of the yeast, then the father, he goes about kind of getting the table ready and, and getting things prepared. And they bring out all of the white. And so they bring out the white linens. And, uh, and in fact, even the father, um, he actually dresses in a, in a white robe. And it's really kind of a representation uh, of, of the father uh, playing the role of the high priest. Now, certainly the father was not the high priest, but in this scenario, in this celebration, he's kind of fulfilling that role. And so he puts on kind of a garment that would represent kind of him as being for the family of this time, at this moment, the high priest of the family. And so he kind of puts on the white. That's blank number three there, if you're taking notes, putting on the white. And that is kind of a picture, not just of him being the high priest in this scenario for the family, but it's also a picture of, uh, of how we are to be clothed in the righteousness of God, which often is represented by white. So in this uh, picture that we are seeing, because what we're seeing really is a living drama, a living portrayal, a picture of something that God wants us to see. Not just something he wants us to experience here, but something he also wants us to see. And so as all the preparations are being made, the white comes out and they get the table ready and they get the table set. Um, the white kind of representing uh, us putting on the righteousness of God. We, we don't have righteousness in and of ourselves. I mean, if it's up to me to be good, I, um, I'm messed up. And I'm just going to guess, I, I'm going to guess you probably are too. So we're messed up together. So we can't, we don't have enough righteousness in and of ourselves to accomplish anything. And so really any of this white, this righteousness, this good, this is not our goodness. This is not our, this is the righteousness really of God. So the next step here, we're going to go to blank number four. This was for ladies only, this next step, the, but I'm the lady, I guess, in this moment. So um, we've got the, but next came the lighting of the candles. And I, I find this unique because it was traditionally, it, it's lit by the, a, a lady or the lady of the house. And, 
Um, you know, the cool thing we know about this is that we were told, we even talked about this week number one, that the light of the world, the light of the world is going to be brought to us through the seed of a woman, right? That's what the Bible tells us all the way back in Genesis chapter three. It's going to come from the seed of a woman and referring to Jesus, our Messiah coming for a woman. And so really this picture of lighting the candles, we have this picture of, of, of God promising us when they started this 3,500 years ago, that the light of the world is going to come from the seed of a woman. We have that picture portrayed here. That's what would happen next. They would light the candles. And then they would start with the wine. And you say, all right, when are they going to get to the wine? That's what they, they would do the first cup of four cups. There's four cups of wine during the Passover celebration. And they would come to the first cup. The father would fill the cup. Everybody had their own cup. And this was blank number five here. It was the, the first cup of four. And they called this the cup of sanctification. Each cup has a specific name, a specific title. And this was the cup, cup of sanctification, which is really saying that, that something in this process is being set apart. That's what to sanctify means. It means to set apart for some special purpose. And so we have some things that during this Passover that have been set apart. In fact, the, the very fact that it is the Israelites, the Jewish people that God commanded to do the Passover, he has set apart that entire nation. And he said, it is through you that I, God, am going to tell my love story to the entire world. I'm going to do that through you. You have been sanctified. You have been set apart for a special purpose. And don't, don't kid yourself. God is not finished with Israel, the, the nation of Israel yet. We're going to talk more about that in week number five. He's not done. He has set them apart for something special. And so this is the cup of sanctification. You know who else was set apart? Jesus was set apart. Jesus being God himself, we tend to think, oh, Jesus showed up on the scene um, uh, after we messed up in the garden, right? And I say we because, um, I mean, we weren't in the garden, but we've messed up since then, haven't we? So it might as well have been us. Since we messed up, since we blew it, that's when God enacted plan Jesus to make up for all that mess that we created. But do you know the truth? Jesus was set apart from the very beginning. There was no reason for Jesus to be Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah from the very beginning. And we're going to talk more about that later. But Jesus was set apart. He was sanctified. And you know who else has been set apart, who has been sanctified? It would be everyone who's part of the church today. And when I say the church, I'm not speaking of our local church, Stuttgart Harvest Church or First Baptist Church or the Church of Jesus Christ. We're not talking, we're talking about the church, everyone who is a believer, who has connected their lives to God through the blood of Jesus, you are part of the church and the church, God's church has been set apart for something special. He's not through with you either. And we'll talk more about that on another day. This is the cup of sanctification, a very special cup, symbolizing there's something very special about this that has been set apart. And now we come to something that I just find super, super, super cool. It's blank number six on your listening guide. It's the hidden bread. 
the hidden bread. Now, let me tell you kind of how this works. So, uh, Dad has this uh, has this this container for the bread. It's a fabric linen container, and he has this. And inside of it, he has three pieces of bread. And you're like, that does not look like good bread to me. I'm not sure I want to butter that up and eat it. And you're probably right, because this is unleavened bread, which there's various kinds of unleavened bread. This is probably the thinnest. (laughs) Looks like a cracker. Because basically it is a big cracker. And so, but it is unleavened. And this is the kind of bread they use today when they do the Passover. But back in the day, they didn't make it quite so flat. It was a little thicker, um, but it was still completely unleavened. There was no, no yeast in it at all. Three pieces of unleavened bread. And this is cool to me. So dad would take these three pieces of unleavened bread. And from these three pieces, dad would remove one of the three. That looks like a magic trick, doesn't it? I would know. One of the three. And he places these in this container. He takes this one that he removed, this one piece, and he breaks it. He breaks it apart and he takes it. Listen to what he does with this. He takes it and he wraps it in white linen. So we're going to wrap this up in white linen. And so he separates it from the other two. He breaks it, wraps it in white linen. And do you know what he does with it? This is so cool. He buries it somewhere in the house. He goes and he buries it where the the kids don't see, but that's what they call it. He takes that third piece of unleavened bread, unleavened, what would that represent? If there's no yeast in it, there's no what in it? Sin. So he takes this thing that represents something sinless and he breaks it and he buries it. That's pretty cool to me. Does that remind you of anything? Let's keep going. So then about this time, the father's ready. He said, now we're going to begin. And here's how they begin. This is your blank number seven. They begin the Passover really kind of officially uh, with these four questions. That's blank number seven. These four questions. And it's the youngest person usually in the home that asks the questions. And across every household, in every home, in every nation of the Jewish people, these same four questions are asked. And they ask these questions, the youngest person in the home. And it allows the father to answer these four questions. And as he answers these four questions, he talks about where all of this began. That's what's happening every Passover, every home. And he talks about where this all began. And this is blank number eight. It all began with the Exodus, the Exodus. That's where it all began. That is where they got their first command to do this whole thing that's called the Passover. And now the father leads the family in what is a a multi-sensory experience to tell this story of the Passover. It's It's pretty neat how he does it. And so he begins. He answers these four questions by telling this story. And um, and here's an example of how he might do it. He takes the Seder plate, and, and on it will be uh, a various um, 
things that he's going to use to tell the story. For instance, one of the things in the, in the dish would be uh, horseradish. And it's a very, very bitter thing. If you've ever had horseradish, you, you understand. It's very bitter. And as the father is telling the story about the, his, their ancestors, the Israelites, being slaves in Egypt, he talks about the bitterness of being a slave and, and, and how, how, just, how bitter that makes you feel. And, and makes your life. And as he's telling that, each person would taste the horseradish off of the plate and they would experience physically that bitterness and being reminded of the bitterness of being slaves. Here was another thing. They would have a little dish on here that would contain uh, salt water very dense salt water. And they would take an item and they would dip it into the salt water and they would eat that item and, and taste the saltiness. And then the father would describe, he would say, you know what? The tears of our ancestors, as they were crying out to God, as they were slaves in Egypt, this represents those tears of those people. And then also on this plate um, would be uh, uh, the shank bone of a lamb. Because it all began really with this sacrifice. Here's kind of how this played out. They don't use a lamb today. I'll talk about that in a moment. They no longer use a lamb because there's no temple for the sacrifice. Um, so today they use some other item. We talked about in week number two how Jesus predicted that the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed. And we talked about how Daniel predicted the same thing 500 years before that. Um, and true enough, uh, 70 AD, so about 30 something years after Jesus died on the cross, Jerusalem and the temple were completely des destroyed. And it is still basically destroyed today. There is no temple, so there is no sacrifice. And because there's no sacrifice, this whole Passover thing kind of began with sacrifice. And so since they can't sacrifice, they still have a symbolic thing for the lamb on the plate, but there's no real lamb they don't want to confuse that because there's no sacrifice available. Um, so here we have, we have God who has created everything here. Uh, probably the most, I can't, with, uh, without exception, the most creative of all. God is pretty creative and he can be weird, can't he? He does things in some weird ways. And here he's doing a really kind of creative, strange thing. He's having them celebrate this, this feast, this Passover celebration. And in it, all of these things picture something else. They all represent something else. So let me tell you about the sacrifice and how this began. So the father's telling the story of how the slaves in Egypt... Um, the Israelite slaves get to the point where God is ready to free them and send them on their way. There's one last plague. You know, there were 10 plagues that God brought. And the very last plague was that every firstborn male child in all of Egypt was going to die. Everyone. Didn't matter your race, your nationality, didn't matter. All firstborn were going to die. But God looked at the Israelites and he said, but if you will do this, this next thing I'm going to tell you, your family, everyone in that house will be safe. And so here's what God told the Israelites. Do this, you'll be saved that night. If you don't do it, your firstborn's going to die. You know what he told them to do? 
He said, find in your flock of sheep, your lambs, find the most perfect lamb that you can find. And study that lamb, inspect that lamb, make sure it is without any flaw. Do this four days before the Passover happens. So you have plenty of time to inspect that lamb and make sure he is flawless. Examine him very, very carefully. One lamb per household. Sometimes if it was a small household, they would combine. God said you can combine them, but make sure that this lamb is perfection. You can kind of see already this side of the cross in this New Testament day that we live. You can kind of see the picture, can't you? Already of Jesus, the perfect lamb, sacrifice for us, we can see that. And so God said, you're going to take this perfect lamb and you're going to sacrifice this lamb. Now at the very first Passover, this was the only time this was required, at the first Passover, he said, take the blood from that sacrificed lamb and you're going to sprinkle that blood across the doorpost of your home. Sprinkle that blood. And everyone in that home that night will be saved. They'll be saved by the blood of the lamb. So every home had their own lamb. They sacrificed the lamb. They put the blood across the doorpost. And the father's telling this story to his children. And they put the blood across the doorpost. And that family was saved by the blood of the lamb. Every single home. And what a picture that we would have thousands of years later. This was a picture. God giving us a picture of what he was going to do with his lamb. The lamb of God. Wow. So they freed. They were freed from Egypt. They, they, they headed towards the Red Sea. And then the father goes on and tells this story of the Israelites making their way into the promised land. And then when he gets to that part of the story, he takes something sweet off of the Seder plate here. And everybody tastes something sweet. And he talks about the sweetness of the Israelites making it to the land that God promised them. And that's how he tells the story. And that's where all of this began. And God commanded them after a short period of time. He said, now do this every single year. Every year. Celebrate the Passover like this. And at this time, as the father kind of comes to the end of that story, he comes to the second of the four cups. And this is your blank number nine. He takes from the wine poured into the cup, he takes 10 drops of wine and he spills it 10 times into each plate. And as he's finishing this story, you know what? Each of those 10 drops, he tells them, represents one of the 10 plagues that God brought into Egypt. And this part of the Passover, this part right here is not a festive celebration at this moment. It's very somber. It's very quiet as they remember, because they're not excited about the destruction that God brought to the Egyptians. But they're also remembering, they're also remembering what God has saved them from. And we know for our own lives the bitterness of slavery and us being slave to addiction and being slave to, to hurt and pain, those things that we have in our lives that hurt us, 
and we're enslaved to the very things that hurt us, and we know it. We're, we're, we're looking back. We know what it is like for us to be enslaved in that way. And then we think about what God is saving us from as he is freeing us, freeing us from addiction and freeing us from the very things in our own lives many times that we have brought upon ourselves that hurt us and sometimes what others have brought upon us. He is freeing us from that. And we remember, even with those ten drops, they're remembering that. We remember what God is saving us from. And then, though, the celebration kind of begins at that moment. With number ten, somebody says, let's eat. And like any good celebration, there's going to be a lot of food, and there is a lot of food. They sit at this table probably for most of them from sundown until midnight. They are at the Passover table celebrating this. Of course, I told you the lamb is no longer the center course of the meal um, because there's no sacrifice uh, any any longer. Um, so but consider the meal something like we experience with Thanksgiving or with Christmas dinner. There's a lot of food and a lot of celebration, a lot of laughter, a lot of family time, a lot of fun. And there's many, many more details that the father talks about as he tells this story of the Exodus. But that we don't have time for all of those. But you get the idea of how the, it's all woven in and everything represents something. It's very, very beautiful. And so now we come after the meal, after the meal is eaten, we come to the third cup, the uh, third of four cups, and it's blank number 11 for you. And they call this the redemption cup. And then there's something else involved with this. We have it in the blank for you. And the bread is redeemed. So this is the redemption cup. We'll get to this in a moment. And the bread is redeemed. So here's what the father does. The father says, okay, now kids, you get, go find, go find the buried bread. And the kids scatter through the house. They try to find it. And the one child who's lucky enough to find it brings it back to the father. And the father redeems that bread, which means here's how that works. The father pays the child to get this buried bread back. And the father pays the child in silver. That's how it happens. The kid gets some silver, the father gets the bread back, and they get to move on with the Passover celebration. Now, let's think for just a moment. You know what they call this, this buried bread? They call it the bread of life. They do, seriously. So many of our Jewish friends, they don't recognize that everything they're doing points to what Jesus has done. And before Jesus did it, it was pointing to what Jesus was going to do. And now that Jesus has done it, it points to what Jesus has done. They call it the bread of life. I mean, it, just picture it with me. We have three, three pieces of bread. Three pieces of bread. One piece is removed now, as we understand the Bible, we serve one single God. But do you know how God reveals himself to us as three completely separate beings? I, I know. My mind can't comprehend. So that's why he gives us some of these pictures to help us. We have God the Father. That's one piece of bread. We have God the, the, the Son. That's another piece of bread. We have God the Spirit. 
Here he's given us this picture of himself, and this one piece is removed. This one piece is removed. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus made himself lower, physically lower than the angels. One piece was removed. The Bible tells us that Jesus made himself lower than the angels, which also means he put on this skin and flesh of us. Not the angelic, easy roaming about the world, angel flesh, whatever that is. And he made himself lower than the angels. That's Jesus. And you know what happened to Jesus, right? Jesus is the sacrifice. That sacrifice that was broken for us. Now, this is so cool to me. I, I hope this is as cool to you as it is to me. But listen to this. They have celebrated this for 3,500 years, and it's a picture of the Messiah, many of whom they don't see. Jesus, broken for us, and the Father has the child bring him the buried peace that was broken, and he redeems that peace. He purchases that peace for, for, for silver. And what a picture we have of our Jesus, our Jesus who was broken for us. And you know, he was sold too. For what? Silver, 30 pieces of silver. What a picture that was written before it ever happened. So we have this, this body this, that was broken for us, that was wrapped in linen, is buried, and now with the redemption cup, it is brought out again. It is brought out again. The bread of life. The bread of life. This is what they call it. And everyone at the Passover table must partake of the bread of life. Listen to how this works. The father takes this broken piece here. He takes it and he breaks it and gives it to every person at the Passover table. He breaks the bread and he hands it to them. And it's not just any piece. It's the bread of life piece. It's the piece that was broken and buried and brought back redeemed. That's the piece that everyone is given, every single person at the table. And after the father passes it out, then he, he takes it and he says a blessing over this piece of bread. In fact, this is so cool to me. I, I hope it is to you. In fact, the blessing that they say, said this year, 2015, uh, at Passover time in the spring, and, and what they're going to do in a few months at Passover time in 2016, is the same blessing, very same blessing that Jesus prayed when Jesus led his disciples in this Passover ceremony. And it's the same one they prayed centuries before that. Now, we would never know that because we're not Jewish. But if you were Jewish, you would know that. Man, sometimes I wish I were Jewish. You would know that. And I'm wondering, what did they pray? What could it be? It's the very same one as Jesus. We're getting ready to look at this picture in a moment. Jesus led his disciples in the Passover just, just before he was getting ready to go to the cross. He took time to do this. And he was doing all of this. And he took the bread after it had been hidden and broken. He took it, brought it out and broke it 
and handed it to each disciple. You know, while he was doing that, do you know what Judas was doing? He was getting the 30 pieces of silver. Wow. Uh, So at this point, the blessing is offered for the bread. Jesus did it. Let's look where Jesus was. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It's on the screen. As they were eating, not just any meal, the Passover meal. They got to this point. They brought this bread out. And here's as Jesus took some of the bread. This is the bread. Jewish people know. We didn't know what he was talking about when we read that. We just thought he took some bread. No, he took the bread of life. That one piece that was hidden and buried. He took it, broke it. Look, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. We don't know what the blessing is. You want to know? I can tell you. Here's what he said, because it's the same blessing they have been saying for centuries. It has not changed. It has not changed. This is what they say, and this was the same thing Jesus said. Listen, here it is. He said a blessing, and this is the blessing. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth. Not just any bread, the Messiah who was broken and buried, and he brings him forth to life. Do you see the picture? Now listen, you're saying, Harley, you're just making that up. Mm-mm. Listen, Jesus, back to Jesus, Matthew 26, verse 26. Then he broke it. Why do we know this? Because that's what they've been doing for 3,500 years. At this point in the Passover, he broke it, broke it into pieces, unleavened bread, gave it to the disciples. Do you see the connection? Here we have a celebration that points to the Messiah. And in this portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, you have the Messiah leading Israelites, the disciples, in the Passover, which is pointing to who? To Jesus, the Messiah. This is amazing. He broke it into pieces, gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body He said, everything you've done for thousands of years has pointed to me. This piece of bread that has been broken and buried for thousands of years every spring, it's me. It's a picture of me. He says, take it, eat it. This is my body. Jesus here is revealing the meaning of all of this. He's saying this has been and always will be a picture of me. Even what happened as the, at the first Passover when you sacrificed the lamb and put the blood on your doorpost and you were saved by the blood of the lamb, guess what? That was a picture of me too. This has all been about me, Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, yeah, they're going to break me. Don't worry about my death. Uh-uh. Because God is going to bring me forth from the earth. The tomb 
in the earth. He's going to bring me back out. Don't worry about me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. And then he took the cup. The cup of what? Redemption. Then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. Want to know what he said? We know because they've been saying the same prayer for centuries. Here's what he said. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. That's what he said. And do you know in just a moment, as Jesus finished this Passover with his disciples, they were going to get up and leave that room and they were going to walk to the place where Jesus would be arrested and where he would then walk to the cross. That's what was coming up. Hours, just hours. But do you know on his way to that garden, Jesus would stop. Jesus would stop in a vineyard on the way. Just yards away. You could see it from where, just yards away. He would stop in a vineyard and he would then pause just moments, hours really before his arrest. He paused. This was so important. He paused. And in John 15, he speaks for that entire chapter, telling them, teaching them about the fruit of the vine. And that's what he had just prayed moments before, and it's the redemption cup. Wow. The Bible then says, he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it. It is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Jesus said, y'all have been drinking this cup. Your people, our people have been drinking this third cup for centuries. For centuries, they've been drinking this cup of redemption. But I want you to know now it is unveiled. The mystery is revealed. This is my blood. This represents my blood, which is going to be poured out, sacrificed for you. Sacrificed for you. Do you realize the blood of the Passover lamb that Jesus was, had served at the meal? The blood of that lamb spilled out. That lamb that they had was spilled out on the altar. And Jesus is saying... I'm the real sacrifice. That was just a picture of me. I'm the real sacrifice and my blood is getting ready to be spilled for you on the ground like the blood of the Passover lamb. Setting into motion this new arrangement between God and man. This just keeps getting better. Do you know with the Passover, as they select the lamb, I told you they select the lamb four days, four days before the Passover. So they can study it and they can make sure it is perfect, sinless, without flaw, not sinless, the lambs didn't really sin, but flawless. Four days. Okay. Last week. We talked, if you, didn't hear, if you weren't here, go back and listen to it. Last week we talked about something called the triumphant entry. You know when it happened? 
four days before the Passover. Four days before Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus, the Lamb of God. When Jesus came onto the scene to begin his ministry, do you remember what John the Baptist said? He said, as he looked to the crowds, he said, Behold, this is Jesus. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not just the sins of the Israelites, the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. And Jesus, as he came into the triumphal entry, was presented to the Israelites as the anointed one, the Lamb of God, four days before he went to the cross. Just like, just like, just like the lamb was selected four days before Passover. Coincidence? Just by chance? This is God's design. God's design. Jesus Christ, the one perfect sacrifice presented for inspection as the perfect lamb of God. After the bread has been eaten, And after the redemption cup was consumed, then to finish off this Passover, which was different from all others because Jesus was making it so. As he finished it off, you know what he said? Here's what he said. This, what we've just done here, my disciples, he said, this do in remembrance of me. And that is where we get what we call the Lord's Supper. What we call communion. It was not just the Lord's Supper. It was part of a much bigger thing. It was part of Passover. And Jesus was saying, now, from now on, as you experience this, as you do this, don't think of it like you have always thought of it. Now, when you get to the redemption cup, remember me, he said. When you get to the bread of life, he said, remember me. And so, today... As a Stuttgart Harvest Church family and with friends here too, friends and family, we're going to invite you in just a moment to take communion with us, the Lord's Supper. But let me give you just some information. Everyone here is welcome. Let me give you some information. Not, not everybody takes the Lord's Supper communion every time we do it. We don't want you to feel pressured at, by any means. No pressure. Some will and some won't. And that's okay. That is okay. This has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to be saved. What this is, is symbolic. It's, it's a symbol, a picture. Jesus saying, this is a picture. He said, don't do this to be saved. He said, do this. When you do this, remember me and what I've done. He said, that's what he said. So this is not a pressure thing to say you have to do this. Let me tell you, though, if you do choose to take communion, the Lord's Supper with us, here's, let me tell you what it means. So here's what you're saying with your actions. With your actions, you're saying that Jesus, I, I believe 
that you really did die on the cross for me. It's God's plan. You did it. You shed your blood for me. Your body was broken for me. You died on the cross for me. Three days later, you rose again. I believe that. Now listen, don't miss this part. Because here's what you're saying. If you choose to take the Lord's Supper with us, here's what you're saying. It's all about redemption. Because you died on the cross for me. Your blood that you spilled paid a price for me. It, your blood actually purchased, bought my life. And I'm admitting that to you. God, you bought, you purchased my life. And because you purchased it, this life belongs to you. It's yours. It's no longer mine. It's yours. And I choose to follow you. Now, don't misunderstand me. There was only one perfect lamb. That was Jesus. There is not a Christ follower who has ever lived or who is alive today that is perfect. Not even close. We follow the perfect lamb of God. We're not perfect. By taking the Lord's Supper, you're not saying, yep, I'm doing it all right. No. By taking the Lord's Supper, we're remembering what he did for me and what he did for you. And we're saying, I believe you really did it. Three days later, you rose again. And because of that, you have purchased my life. And I'm admitting to you, God, this life is yours. It belongs to you. That's what it means. So we're getting ready. The band's going to make their way to the front. We're going to do a song, two songs. But we're going to ask you during the first song, if you want to take part in the Lord's Supper, we're just going to ask you to come. You can come with a friend or you can come by yourself. And we have four, four places set up here over here, and we have two on each side of the rail back here. And there's nothing formal you have to do. Just simply walk up. There's juice there, and there's bread there. And as you take that, you're going to eat the bread, you're going to drink the juice. We have containers to put the waste. But as you do that, what you're doing is remembering. You're saying, Jesus, in your heart, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you, you died for me. You shed your blood for me. Three days later, you rose again. And because of that, you've purchased my life. Would you do that? Would you remember? And we're just inviting you. Nobody has to. But I will say this. It will help if, if we all stand up because it is, it is hard. In just a moment, as the band sings, if we'll all stand up, it is difficult to walk past anyone who's sitting. So if we would just all stand up, nobody has to do this. Nobody has to. But everyone is welcome to. And we're going to do this during this first song. Sing along with us after the song. We're going to do another song. Then I'm going to come back and address you. But before we sing, let me pray as we stand, please. Stand with me. God, many of us, not all, but many of us are going to take the Lord's Supper right now. And in doing so, our hearts are saying this. God, we believe that you did die on the cross for me. Three days later, you rose again. And in doing so, you have purchased my life. You bought it, and it is yours. I admit to you, it is yours. I freely give it to you. And now, God, we have friends that, that they just they may not be comfortable today taking the Lord's Supper. And here's what I, what I ask. God, would you continue to draw their hearts towards you? God, you are our perfect lamb, our sacrifice, our Messiah. And we are not afraid to say, God, as they seek you, 
will you reveal yourself to them in their lives? And God, we're so grateful that any man who has ever sought you, God, they found you. And so, God, I'm so thankful that we are in a room full of people who are seeking you. Whether or not we take communion on this day does not speak to what you have or are going to do in our lives. But, God, some of us are at that point we're ready to say, God, yes, what you did on the cross you did for me. And you've purchased my life. And may we celebrate that in this moment. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to be seated for just a moment as we wrap this up. But Jesus wasn't quite done just yet. Before I finish, I'm almost done. Jesus wasn't done. But I just want to give you a heads up in just a moment, not, not yet, but in a moment, I'm going to call for you to pass the giving buckets. And it's in those giving buckets. Don't do it yet. It's in those giving buckets where you'll put your connection cards your giving envelopes, all that stuff. But on your connection cards, if today for the first time you're saying, you know what, I am becoming a follower of Jesus, there's a place for you to mark that on the back. We want you to mark it. But Jesus wasn't done. Go ahead and mark that. Jesus wasn't done though. You know what? With the Passover meal, there's still another cup, another cup of wine. It was the fourth cup. And this was the cup. Let's see what they called this. This was the cup that they called in number 12, the cup of praise. That's what they called this cup the cup of praise. And you know what Jesus said? This was remarkable. He said, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to stop with the redemption because that's where Jesus is, is basically saying this. That's where we are in this Passover story, the redemption, because Jesus was going to walk to the cross after that, that night. Wow. Wow. He said, I'm not going to finish this. You know what he said, though? It's, it's in the scripture there for us. It's like verse 27 or 28. Here's what he said. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, this cup right here. He's saying, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. That's what he said. He paused all of this and said, now I'm going to go finish the picture. It's not, it's pictured here, but I'm not done. I'm going to go finish the picture and then I'm going to come back and get you. And we're going to finish this together. Wow. Now, after that, they even say this in, in, in right here in that passage we were reading. After they finished the Passover meal, do you know what families have done? For 3,500 years, they finished with a hymn. They would sing. Some of them sing a lot. But it's not like a dirge, a funeral dirge. It's a celebration. That's how they finished. And in just a moment... I'm going to pray for us. Chris has something he's going to say, and then we're going to finish together with a hymn. We're going to sing something together. Ronnie's going to lead us in that. It's going to be good. We're going to go out. And Jesus did the same thing. When he finished, he said, I'm not going to drink this, not till I come back and get you guys. But then they finished with a hymn. And you know where they went after the hymn? He headed to the garden where he was going to get arrested. 
But you know what he did before that, right? He stopped where? At the vineyard to talk about the fruit of the vine. What a picture. And he did all that for you and for me. He said, when you do that, from now on, remember me. So they finished it with a hymn. But here's our bottom line today. This is how I want to end it. Our bottom line is this. God painted us a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, through the Passover. And Jesus came to live it. God painted us a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, through the Passover. And Jesus came to live it. The father of the house, he led the Passover during that night. And we're asking you this morning, will you let your heavenly father lead your life? Our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, was sacrificed for us. He died, but then he defeated death as God brought him forth from the earth. God raised him from the dead, and God wants to raise you as he has done and is doing me to new life. Will you let him? Will you think about this sacrifice that he has made for you? And will you relinquish control of your life to him? That's what we're asking you to do, to really just make him the boss of your life. Will you do that? Passover, the old to the new. From being separated to being connected. And Jesus gives us the meaning. And I want you to know your life is meant for so much more than what you've experienced so far. Join me in a prayer. Chris has something to say. And then we're going to leave with the hymn. Ronnie will dismiss us after that. But join me in a prayer. God, for some for the first time and for others, choosing to give up this struggle of maintaining control of our lives. God, we understand what it means to be enslaved to a habit, to be enslaved to a hurt, to be enslaved to a, a, a person who has, who has hurt us or said something. God, we understand what that hurt means and being enslaved to it. God, we... We also know what it means, many of us, to begin to experience new life through you. So God, in this moment, we are so thankful for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God, you can handle my sin. You can handle all of our sin. You've paid for it with your blood. I'm so thankful. God, we celebrate that. We celebrate that as Stuttgart Harvest Church, and we celebrate that as friends and family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.